0: Well, this is uh, the Sunday where we are starting off into our fall ministries with our Sunday school classes for uh, the adults and also for the children. Uh, We've done a lot of work has been done uh, preparing a new designated space for the children's ministry and the children's church. And there's been so many people who have worked in a variety of ways to make that an attractive and a safe space. And we're so thankful to God uh, for the work that is going on uh, here through his people, through the gifting that God has given us. And we're, we should be, even this morning, just so aware, even as we see uh, the musicians up here, uh, I think four four years ago or so, out of the seven who are using their gifts this morning, uh, two we're here and so we just see the lord has brought so many new and gifted people into our midst and we're just so thankful for that and for the way that the lord is still at work here in this place and he is at work and i trust that you know that uh, not just in terms of uh, growth with numbers that's that's not how to judge anything but in terms of spiritual growth we are seeing fruit and we should be encouraged i think we should be excited and we should be looking forward to what the Lord has, to, has in store for us. And one of the things that we do is we gather, we, we worship, we sing songs of praise to the Lord. Uh, but we also intentionally uh, build all of our ministries around the word of God. And so we come to this, the Bible is the very Word of God, it is our authority, it is necessary, it is sufficient, it is God's Word to us. And so when your children are here uh, in Sunday school, they're going to be learning the truth of God. When your children go out uh, for the children's program, they'll be learning the truth of God in age-appropriate ways. And so that's what we are building our church ministries on, the very Word of God. And so this morning... We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 35. Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 35. And here, as a church, we've been working through the gospel of Luke, uh, passage by passage, and we'd love for you to be part of that. So next week, uh, we're going to be in chapter 14. The week after that, chapter 15. And so no surprises in store. We're just going to keep moving through uh, the gospel together. But let's read Luke chapter 13, verses 18 to the end of the chapter. And I always say something like, this is the word of God, or this is the word of the Lord. And just a reminder that when I say that, it's not a cliche. And it's not because pastors have to say some sort of introductory formula before you get into the word of God. It really is a reminder to stop and reflect what you are about to hear has been breathed out by God's spirit for us. This is the word of God. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then they will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, as is our habit. We are going to pray uh, before we unpack this uh, passage of scripture together, but I'm going to ask before I lead us in prayer that that we all take a moment uh, to bow before the Lord. There are lots of uh, ministries starting, uh, lots of circumstances in people's lives, lots of things to rejoice about, lots of potential for outreach and evangelism and missions and church growth and all sorts of things that we should be very, very excited about. One just quick item of praise is you know, just so glorious in god's care that again not not too long ago there we, there was some concern there there were not all that many children here and then this not not too long ago uh, the lord gifted the world with tobias and then not too much later the lord Gifted uh, the world with a beautiful, beautiful daughter for Andrew and Jen. And just this last week, uh, the Lord has gifted another wonderful couple with a son, Shane. So we have Shane Giesbrook, just a couple days old here, uh, this morning. So. So it just, we should, we should never be able to go too long without Stopping and it becomes a bit of a cliche, but, you know, count your many blessings, count them one by one. We just take so much for granted, but look at the blessings uh, that God is giving us here in this place. So just take a moment, pray to the, before the Lord, uh, lay out what's on your heart, and in a moment I'll lead us in prayer. father you are a great god you have not treated us as our sins deserve you have been faithful you have been gracious and merciful and compassionate lord you are a great god and you are good you are good to your children and we just pray lord that by your spirit's power you will work in us to refine us and purify us to cleanse us to make us holy and pleasing in your sight We ask, Lord, that your spirit will bring a great renewal and revival in our midst, that we will be people who are passionate for Jesus Christ and his truth. Lord, we pray that this will be a church that is not run in any way uh, on the basis of human ingenuity or wisdom or effort, but that this will be a place where your spirit has free reign to guide and direct us, that we will be followers and obedient and eager to serve you. Father, I pray that you will help us to align ourselves with your agenda. Help us to take on your priorities for what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. Father, we just thank you so much for the gift of these young lives. Lord, we thank you for these children. We thank you for each one of them. We just pray that you will bless them and keep them safe. Help them to grow healthy and strong in physical stature and in wisdom. And Lord, we also pray that for all, every one of our children, Lord, we, we plead with you that you will cause them by your spirit in response to the gospel to be born again. We ask that you will work in them, help them to love you and follow you. Lord, I pray that this younger generation, these children and teens now will grow up to far surpass any generation that there has ever been in the history of the Christian church. We pray that they will be godlier, that they will be more zealous and more knowledgeable and more passionate and more gifted than all of us who are adults today. Raise them up, Lord. Leave none of them behind. Bring them all into your kingdom. And by your power and spirit, may they have a great impact in this entire world for the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those of us who are adults, Lord, we pray that you will keep working in us. Help us to grow. Help us not to stagnate. Help us not to just take our relationship with you for granted. Give us new energy and zeal and determination to be more like Jesus and to grow in fellowship with you through your spirit. For our Students, Lord, we just pray that you will watch over them, all the busyness and the pressures of the school and the academy, uh, the academics. Lord, just guide their minds and protect their hearts. May these precious years be times of intellectual growth, but also times of spiritual growth as well. And I pray that they will see tremendous fruit for evangelism and witness in their schools and on the university campus. Be with us, we pray, as we open your word. May this be a time when we truly hear your voice, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, not sure Uh, if you ever think that you could write a better Bible than God. You know, if you could make things a little bit clearer, or if you could make things a little bit more interesting, or if you could use illustrations that might be a little bit more powerful— Uh, here's one that I always come to, and it seems to me that if you're going to compare the kingdom of God to something, I don't know exactly what the perfect illustration of the kingdom of God is, but to me, it's going to be something really, really big and really impressive and really powerful. And so when Jesus is saying, you know what, I'm going to give you an illustration about what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like, you know, what should I compare it to? Um... It's like a mustard seed. I immediately feel the wind go out of my sails. You know, like, I thought this was going to be important. I thought this was going to be big. I thought it was going to be impressive. The, the kingdom of God ref, refers to the rule and reign of God. What could be more all-encompassing than that? What could be more powerful and impressive? What image would you use to describe the kingdom of God? Jesus says, it's like this little seed. See this little seed in my hand? That's what the rule and reign of God is like. You say, well, Jesus, what do you mean by that? Like, like shouldn't the rule and reign of God be big and powerful and flashy and noisy? And Jesus says, no. no, it's, it's like this seed because this seed, this small seed, when it's planted in the ground, when you have the proper nutrients in the soil, when you have the sun and the rain and the moisture— What you get from this seed is literally unimaginable. Unless you knew there was a connection between the seed and the big tree, the big bush that this grows into, you could never have possibly imagined that there was a connection between the two. If all you're seeing is the seed and you didn't know, you hadn't been taught that trees come from seeds, you could never possibly imagine what the outcome is going to be from burying this seed in the dirt. You know, today in our culture, in sort of the country that we live in, you know, we we might say the kingdom of God is like an acorn, and and you take someone and you, you show them that acorn, and then you go and you stand under an oak tree, a mature oak, and you look up and you say, you know what, this oak tree once came from an acorn just like this one. And we're just so familiar with it that we're almost forget, again, to be astonished and amazed that an oak tree can come from an acorn. I mean, you just stop and think about that. How can that acorn transform into that oak tree over that period of time? And so Jesus is saying, listen, guys, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It starts out and it seems small. It starts out and it seems humble. But the comparison isn't just it's small, but it will be big. The comparison is, listen, you guys don't even have the categories to understand what the kingdom is going to develop into. All you can see right now is the kingdom in its seed form, but you've never seen the full grown kingdom. You've seen how a seed can turn into a tree, but you have never seen a kingdom of God grow you know, we we have the Arboretum, uh, you know, in the south end of the city. I went there actually for the first time a year ago. I spent the first few years in Guelph having heard about the Arboretum, never having been there. And so we finally went down there, and it's actually really nice. You know, I'm not sure if you knew that. You know, and so we're walking through the Arboretum, and uh, I assume that Arboretums have something to do with trees, because there's a lot of trees down there, you know, and there was deer, and it was just, it was, gorgeous and we went down there and you go and you see the arboretum you can see all kinds of different trees but there's no sort of kingdom of god a breedum. You know, like there's no place where you can go and see a whole bunch of grown up kingdom of gods. There's only one. And so whereas you can go and you can see a whole bunch of grown up trees, there's nowhere where you can go and see a whole variety of what the kingdom of God looks like after it's grown up and reached maturity and Jesus Christ has returned and brought all of the kingdom together. We've never seen that. And so one of the things that Jesus is doing with this illustration is he's saying, listen guys, It's starting out small, but you can't even imagine what it's going to be like. You don't have the categories for it. Until you see the new heavens and new earth, until you see what I have prepared for you, until I return, until this world is purified, until sin is done away with, until I've established my rule and reign over all things in a visible, obvious, consummated way, you have no idea what it's going to be like. But it's going to be the difference between this little seed and that tree, over there. That's how great the kingdom is going to be. Or it's like just this little bit of yeast that the woman works through a very, very large amount of dough, and it's just this little tiny ingredient. But it's the yeast that works all the way through all of the dough and brings about and brings about an entire unimaginable in scale transformation compared to its original size. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, because don't forget at this time, it's really just Jesus and a few, a handful of followers. Jesus and his followers are not all that important in this, in the eyes of society and in the eyes of the world at this time. In fact, one of Jesus's very few followers is going to betray him. And Jesus himself is going to be crucified. He's going to die on a cross. And he's dying on a cross because he's being intentionally rejected. People don't want anything to do with him. He dies as a failed Messiah in the eyes of society. And what they don't see is that Jesus has purposely come to earth to live a perfect life so that he can die on the cross, being the substitute to pay the penalty for their sins. What they don't see is that he is dying in their place. He is laying down his life of his own accord only later to be able to take it up again. And so for Jesus and his handful of very unimportant followers, really they are just like a little tiny seed. They're completely insignificant, But Jesus is saying to them, don't be discouraged. When you see the final product, you will be astounded. When you see what this little bit of yeast will do in this huge lump of dough, you will not be able to believe the transformation. And one of the amazing things about Scripture is that even in small part, even before the consummation, even before the return of Jesus Christ, we are beginning to see the truth of what Jesus said, even here and now in this world over the centuries. We have seen the gospel spread from a handful of very unimportant, discouraged followers of Jesus. We've seen it spread all over the world. And yes, 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 There are people groups, there are linguistic groups where the gospel still has not penetrated. And that means that as Christians, it is absolutely essential that we be people who give sacrificially and work sacrificially to make sure that the gospel penetrates every single possible social demographic and ethnic demographic in all of the world. We need to reach every single corner of the globe with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a lot of missiologists, those who study missions, will say, you know what? because there are still people groups that haven't been reached, the mission is not done. But what we need to do is we need to be doing missions and evangelism, saying we can finish missions. In one generation, the Christian church has the resources to end missions forever. Because missions is getting the gospel into these people groups and establishing churches where there are no churches, where there is no gospel. Once you have have the gospel in... Then it becomes evangelism. So we can actually finish missions and then be strengthening churches for the ongoing, never-ending task of evangelism because every single generation until Jesus returns, no matter where they are, always needs to hear the gospel again. Everyone always needs to hear the gospel afresh. Every generation. Every single person. Once we get the church established literally in every pocket of the world. Every possible demographic. That's when evangelism and local church ministry sort of takes over. So the mission is completable in terms of getting the gospel to every corner of the globe. Having said that, though, the gospel has penetrated the vast, vast, vast majority of the population of the world. So you can say, roughly, there is really almost no place on earth, there's no continent on earth you can go to and not find people who know Jesus Christ. There are more christians now than there have ever been in the history of the world Uh, the gospel of jesus christ is is proclaimed you know down in australia and up in the you know in remote jungles and in urban centers it's proclaimed all over the place because the yeast has been working through the dough and the world has been transformed on the basis of the gospel so that if you study history, one of the things that you find is that where the gospel has gone, it hasn't just been religious conversion, it has been societal transformation. So that it was the gospel, that the gospel principles that were the driving force behind those people who had the courage to stand up and say that slavery should be outlawed. That was a decision that was driven by the teachings of Jesus Christ and the gospel. The decisions to outlaw exposure, where in Rome was very common for fathers to decide that they didn't want to keep their children. And such was the power of the father in the Roman home that when their newborn child was presented to them, they if they took the child in their arms, the child was accepted. And if they didn't, the child would be put out on the street to die. And this was so common, particularly with the exposure of infant girls, that uh, you actually had imbalances in uh, the population of the different uh, of the two sexes in society. But you also had then Christian organized Christians starting to say, "You know what? We will go and we will pick up those infants on the street and we will raise them ourselves, and we will take care of them." And it was through the Christian compassion and love and mercy that those practices were ultimately outlawed and banned. The same thing has happened all over the world, the practice of burning widows in India outlawed through the uh, through the lobbying of people working through Christian principles. Again and again and again slavery and oppression and all of the rest outlawed and banned because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Schools and education began because people believed that in order to understand the Word of God, you need to be literate, and so that there should be universal education so that everyone could come to know and understand Scripture. That's actually what Sunday school began to be. I'm not sure if you knew that. Sunday school didn't begin to teach people the Bible. Sunday school literally was a school on Sunday that churches began because there were all kinds of, you know, sort of, street urchins in the language of the day who had no opportunity to go to school who were completely illiterate and so churches were saying you know we need to teach them how to read and so Sunday school was a school to teach basic literacy so people could understand the word of god totally transformed society dealing with the great plagues in the early greco-roman culture and in uh, and in Europe throughout history it was Christians who went in and tended for the sick, cared for the dying. Christianity, following the teachings of Jesus Christ, has revolutionized the world. And that's exactly what Jesus said it would do. And frankly, back when Jesus was saying this, from a human perspective, there was no way possible these guys were going to do anything at all in this world. I mean, these guys, if you're working through the gospel properly, these followers of Jesus, they're not all that bright sometimes. You know, they're not all that dedicated sometimes. They're not exactly the cream of the crop. And then when you get to the end of the gospel and Jesus has been crucified, at that point you're thinking, there, this, this whole movement is finished. There is no potential for the future. And even the disciples thought that. So why is it that the gospel is like yeast? Why is it that the gospel is like a seed? It's because... Jesus Christ was crucified and resurrected. It is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is because Jesus Christ conquered death and lives forevermore. And it it's now at the right hand of the Father with the Holy Spirit poured out. It is because of the victory of Jesus Christ that the entire world is going to be transformed by his gospel, by his good news. And we need to be a small part of that. And this is one of the, the, the wonderful things. It's wonderful to have all of all of you here it really is next week bring your friends you know and we'll we'll have even more people here it's wonderful to have everyone here but you have to understand like even in even in this city we represent just the smallest 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 fraction of what god is doing there are far 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 more people worshiping jesus christ in spirit and in truth today in other buildings who are not here this morning with us and we should rejoice in that. I think We should rejoice that what we see, the ministries that we're involved in, the missionaries that we support, we are nothing but the merest little sort of drop in the ocean of what God is doing all around the world. But we are part of it. We get to be part of what God is doing. We get to be part of this growth of the kingdom. It should excite us. And that should motivate us to pursue passionately, with excellence, all that God has called us to be and to do. Now, this leads to sort of the question then that that is asked. If the kingdom is going to be this sort of all-encompassing, if the kingdom is going to start small and, and with humble origins, but it's really going to pervade the world, how many people are going to be part of it? And so the questioner says, Lord... Are only a few people going to be saved? Are only a few people going to be saved? And that was a very common question, actually, in the first century, debated by lots of rabbis and experts. But frankly, this is a very important question that's very common today, too. How many people are going to be saved? Is the majority of the world going to be lost? How many, what does it mean to be in the kingdom? How can someone be saved? Are only a few going to be saved or are a lot going to be saved? How do we begin to sort that out? Who's going to be part of this rule and reign of God? And it's important because it's it's a question of eternal significance. Jesus replies in verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. And notice that Jesus does not directly answer the question. He does not say, well, between now and the time I return, there's going to be 3.456 billion. You know, he doesn't say, oh, yes, well, it's going to be about 2% of the population. He shifts the focus from the, sort of the, the gross numbers of people who are going to be saved, whether it's a lot or a few, to a personal application. What about you? Don't, don't worry about are there going to be lots of people saved? Don't worry about are there going to be a few people saved. What you need to worry about because you can't save anyone else, what you need to worry about is your own heart. What about you? You need to make every effort to make sure you are entering through the narrow door. Because these are not things just that are supposed to be theoretical and abstract, things to kick back and forth, things to speculate about, precisely because it is eternally significant, it is too important to sort of leave out there as a a general topic of discussion. It has to be something that every human being wrestles with themselves. The question is a personal one, not, Lord, how many people are going to be saved, but rather, are you saved? So Jesus is saying to the person. Are you secure? Do you know? You make every effort to enter through the narrow door. There's going to be a lot who are trying to enter in who can't, and your time runs out. There comes a time, Jesus says, when the door will be shut. And people will plead, saying, You know us. Open up the door. And the owner will say, I don't know you. And they'll say, But we 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 ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. He will say, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you... Evil doers. Now notice, I think this is very important. Whoever ultimately in the end is not saved, they are not saved because they are evildoers and persist in their evil. That is, this is a just penalty for their wickedness. But how do you sort that out? They're, they're, they're knocking on the door, they, they want to come in, but they're not allowed. And then Jesus says, I, I didn't know you. They say, but we knew you. And Jesus says, no, you didn't. I don't know you, you're evildoers. Well, this is just like at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, I tell you, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out evil spirits in your name? In other words, they're saying, Jesus, look at all the awesome stuff we did. Look at what we accomplished. He'll say, I'll tell you the truth. I will say to them, depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Knowing here is obviously not awareness of, but it is a relationship. I, I don't have a relationship with you. I've never known you. We are not in a relationship together. And here it's the same. They're knocking, Lord, we we ate with you. We had fellowship with you. We, you you taught in our streets. We listened to you. Open the door. And Jesus says, no, you're evildoers. Now what are we being taught here? We're being taught that when We are speculating about whether or not how many people are going to be saved. It becomes very, very personal because there is salvation, but there is also damnation. And we need to be aware of that. I mean, Jesus teaches about heaven and it's glorious, and there is an eternal state of security and and blessing in his presence forevermore. But there is also exclusion from that. It is also possible to die without knowing Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus says that will be characterized by being exclu- exclusion and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so it becomes very important. Don't don't speculate. Make sure that you know, because many will try to enter in, and many will say to the Lord, "Oh, I knew you. I knew you. I knew you." And He'll say, "No, you didn't." So then how can we be sure then? What does it mean to be saved? The reason that Jesus is going to Jerusalem and the reason he's going to be rejected is because there are all kinds of people who thought they didn't need him in order to enter the kingdom of God. There are all kinds of people, even today, who believe that, you know, you need to sort of acknowledge something about Jesus, that Jesus is is pretty great, but then you need to add your own works to it. You need to make yourself good enough that you, by your efforts, somehow, some way, are going to make yourself fit to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And what Jesus makes very, very clear, and what the New Testament makes very clear, is that to in order to enter the kingdom of God, it is not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus alone. It is not Jesus plus my works. It is not Jesus plus my church attendance. It is not Jesus plus my tithing. Although, if you know what, if you double your tithing, maybe. I'm not sure. You know, it's, it's not Jesus plus anything that I do. I can't bring anything to the table which is going to make God accept me into his kingdom. All, what I contribute is I contribute my sin and my shame and my failure. That's what I bring to the saving equation with Jesus Christ. And what Jesus does is he takes all of what I bring to the table. He bears it in his own body and dies in my place because that's what I deserve. And in exchange, he offers me all of the riches of his glorious perfection. And he gives that to me. And so I don't, I don't come to Jesus. I don't make bargains. I don't come to Jesus and tell him how much I bring to the table. I come to Jesus and I say, if if it's not your grace, if it's not your righteousness, I have no hope at all. And he takes my sin from me and he gives me his glorious perfect righteousness because jesus is not just the way he's the only way and that's why it's a narrow door it's not narrow because only a few manage to wiggle through it it's narrow because there's only one there isn't a multiplicity of doors into the kingdom of god there there aren't a whole variety of pathways that all lead to god there's one and it's the lord jesus christ when i said i am the way The truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me it is through jesus and jesus alone that we are able to enter into the kingdom of god and the wonderful thing about it though is that with jesus this is is so important to understand jesus is the narrow way because it's exclusive but he's all that you need You don't need lots of pathways to God. All you need is one that actually gets you there. And that's what Jesus is. He's the one that gets you all the way there. And so you you put your faith in him. You, You walk with him. And you know that you will have eternal life because you are trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. Those who are excluded, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. They see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the prophets of the kingdom of God. In other words... All of the saints of God, everyone who's had faith in God through it, all of history will be there at this end times banquet. But look at verse 29. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. And here Jesus actually almost comes close to to answering that question. Are only a few going to be saved? People are going to come from the ends of the earth into the kingdom." People are going to come from everywhere, every corner of the globe. There's going to be a mass of people streaming in through me into the kingdom of God. So is it a narrow door? Sure, because it's an exclusive door. There's only one door, but it's a door which stands open for everyone on earth to enter through. And the glory of it is not just just one or two stragglers sort of coming in from the sides. The the vision is, is of this mass of people. Many will come from every possible direction. And enter into God's saving work and f- enjoy the feast, the symbol of celebration in the kingdom of God. That's so why in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, John says, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. That's not a few. Uh, That's not a small number. That is not an insignificant group. I saw a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Are there only a few people, Lord, who are going to be saved? Oh, I tell you, many are going to come. From every tribe and tongue and nation and language, north, south, east, west, the entire world will see people stream into the kingdom of God. That's pretty good for a narrow way. Yeah, that's pretty good uh, to have a narrow door that's that expansive that people from all over the world can enter in. The many who are last will be first and the first will be last. In other words, you think you've sort of got it all figured out, you know, that, that you're going to be able to do this on your own. You think that you're better than everyone else. You're going to find out that that's not the case at all. It's the humble, it's the poor in spirit. It's the ones who come to God with nothing in, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Those are the people who will enter into the kingdom. Now the Pharisees tell Jesus, listen, Herod's trying to kill you. And Jesus says, go and tell that fox. Now, probably uh, today, if you want the connotation, today we might translate it as rat. You know, you go and tell that rat that I am going to do what I do. I'm going to drive out demons. I have a ministry, and it's not going to end until I've completed it. But I'm going to Jerusalem. He's not going to stop me. No one is going to stop me. But I'm going to Jerusalem, and that's where I'm going to die. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. The people in Jerusalem were convinced they were first. They were fine. The kingdom of God was with them. They were the covenant people of God. They were fine. They were, they were the ones who were going to be in the kingdom of God. They were the ones who were going to take their place at the feast of Abraham. It was a done deal for them but they rejected the only way. And here what Jesus is doing is he's showing you that the first will be last and the last will be first. And it is a narrow way. And there's going to be many who think they're going in who aren't. But the entire thing hinges on one thing and one thing alone. And that is, what is your response and relationship with Jesus Christ? Everything about heaven and the eternal state and the kingdom of God, it hinges on nothing but rejection or faith in Jesus Christ. It all comes down to that. And the only reason that we can be saved is Jesus Christ willingly goes to Jerusalem to die for us. So what about you? Not not worrying about the person next to you, not worrying about the people around you, but what about you? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone? as the way of salvation as the way into the kingdom of God. If not you need to you need to make sure that you do. You need to make sure that there, that there that there is no other way that you're trying. You need to put your faith in Jesus. And then you need to get busy telling other people about this this saving gospel. You know, we were um Uh, Sam and myself, and and Dave, and a couple other people, were up at uh, NBC in the Muskoka's Muskoka Bible Conference this last week, and I was uh, speaking to the seniors at the seniors retreat, and um, they showed a video from Camp Wajidum, which is their youth camp, and one of the things they're doing now is they're they're bringing uh, kids up from the inner city. Uh, Toronto, Hamilton, uh, areas where these kids cannot possibly you know, afford to ever go to camp. When they come from Toronto, the week that these kids come from, from Toronto, um, the city of Toronto sends five police officers with them to be in the cabins and to be on the grounds. Uh, a lot of them are under house arrest, and these are, these are not exactly safe kids. In a lot of ways, um, they're saying that actually there's a number of them who actually who put their faith in the Lord uh, while they were there. It is incredible, it's absolutely incredible. But one of these that they're showing and these are, these are teenagers, teens, and they're saying, "So what did you learn this week?" And some of them are talking about how much fun they're having. And they say, so "What did you learn this week?" And this this teenager, and he says, well, "I I I had never heard that." I never heard that you needed to, to trust in Jesus. I had never heard that. I thought if if you were going to go to heaven, it was like, if you were good enough, you got to go. I had never heard about Jesus. And his friends in there, his friends, says, yeah, yeah, me too. I didn't know that. No one ever told me that you needed to know Jesus. These are not people from some jungle somewhere, way in an uncivilized part of the globe. These are people from our urban cities in our part of the world. And I I left out a city, too. Because it's not just Toronto and Hamilton. NBC also partners with students who come up from Guelph. That means there are kids in our city, In our city, in our neighborhood. I didn't, did you know you needed to believe in Jesus? No one ever told me that. I didn't know that. That's us. That's Guelph, Ontario. And so if you know Jesus, honestly, thank God for that. It's by His grace. But if we know Jesus, if we know what it is like to enter through that narrow door and have a seat reserved at the great feast at the end times, how can we not keep that? Or how can we keep that to ourselves? How can we not tell other people? There are, there are places, there's a door, there's a way. Come and know Jesus. We need to be people who are sharing the gospel because there is no other way than through Jesus Christ. Well, let's let's be a people then who are passionate for Jesus and who are mobilized to see this world and these neighborhoods right here reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask your musicians to come uh, and lead us in our closing song.